Welcome to the Davy Tree Expert Companies podcast, Talking Trees. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Each week, our expert arborists share advice on seasonal tree care, how to make your trees thrive, arborists' favorite trees, and much, much more. Tune in every Thursday to learn more, because here at the Talking Trees podcast, we know trees are the answer. Regular listeners to the show will know my guest, Lou Meyer. He's part of the Davy Business Development Team in the Mid-Atlantic region, D.C. and Maryland. And today we're talking all about the Mid-Atlantic Nursery Trade Show. Last year we were together at the show. This year that didn't work out. And Lou, take us through what the Mid-Atlantic Nursery Trade Show looks like. Uh, Paint us a picture. Ah, It's the greatest green show on earth, Doug. It's all the growers from around the United States and beyond uh, converge upon the convention center in Baltimore every January to sell their wares to the landscape industry. So uh, for those of us that are freezing in in the northern climate winter, it's so wonderful to have all these beautiful trees and flowers and shrubs, uh, some that are in bloom because they've been in, uh, you know, indoors the whole time. But it's, it's just a reminder that spring is around the corner and the season is upon us. And big trees. I mean, you got 20 foot, 30 foot trees in that convention center. Yeah, they haul them in. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a really interesting part of the industry. Uh, we, Davey, has a branch that does big tree moving, actually. Uh, some really cool projects all over the, all over the globe, actually. But uh, yeah, no, the bigger, the better. So let's talk a little bit about the trends and things that you saw there. And then I'll talk a little bit about what I saw, too. So what's the first thing that comes to mind when you were looking through the show? The first thing that caught my eye were the number of uh, growers who are selling their plants and also selling this product in fabric grow sacks. So traditionally, we've bought trees in either bald and burlapped condition or container grown. And bald and burlapped is when you see those big root balls on the bottom of a tree at a nursery. And what happens is the nursery digs out the roots of the tree either manually with a shovel or more often with a what's called a tree spade. A tree spade is a piece of machinery that connects to the front of a bobcat, or some of them are big enough that they go on the back of semi-trucks and will lift uh, those 30-foot trees out of the ground with a 2,000-pound root ball. But when, when we do that in the industry, we, we sever those roots um, with a sharp instrument to reduce damage to them. And then we wrap that root ball in burlap really tight, a burlap sack and tie it. And sometimes you see a metal cage around it. The other way that you frequently see these is in a container where we start a tree from a seed. It gets a little bigger. We move it into a larger container and a larger container until the point where you're buying it from a nursery in a 25 or 30 gallon plastic container. These fabric grow sacks, I wouldn't say that they're new to the market, but they're really gaining in popularity is if you think of the non-disposable grocery bags that you get from the store, it's kind of like that. It's a square bag. They're bigger, obviously. It's a square bag that is, um, has, has perforation so that it's not, it's not completely enclosed like a grocery bag would be. Uh, But what this does is it allows the roots of the tree to grow out and through these perforations. 
One of the downsides of container-grown trees is roots hit that container and they start to wrap around and wrap around. And if you don't get into a bigger container, what you end up with is these severely girdling roots that wrap around the trunk of the tree and they end up suffocating the tree. They, they cause damage uh, by cutting off the water and nutrient supply from the roots to the shoots. Well, these grow sacks allow those roots to grow through the walls, the walls of the sack. And as they grow through, as the root gets larger, uh, the root actually gets girdled, which is okay. Because that root will then girdle, it'll, it'll die past the sack, on the outside of the sack it'll die, that'll fall off and degrade, and that root will regrow, and it will continue over and over again. And it'll allow the tree's roots to grow and develop without girdling. And uh, it makes for a, a wonderful product. How many holes are in like a big fabric pot like that? Hundreds. They're not. They're okay. they're not like the size of a golf ball. They're they're um, you know, uh, gosh, I don't know, quarter inch maybe. So, so kind of like for feeder roots. Like, is that the size roots that are going out? Yes. Or? Yeah. Yeah. These aren't the large structural roots, but yeah, feeder roots. That um, is interesting. Well, yeah, it also makes for a really, for what's great for us is they're super lightweight, so it's easy to move these trees around. I mean, the number of containers that I've gone to pick up that are 400 pounds, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get this off the truck? Um, you can really move these super sacks around, uh, grow sacks around, and they're easy to stack in a truck, too, because they're square. Um, they're very user-friendly. But But I saw a lot of those, which I haven't seen before at the show. Well, that's interesting because, you know, I'm looking at that show a lot of times for consumers and I'm seeing the same thing for like the garden, you know, only on a smaller scale, lightweight with handles, you know, often made from like recycled water bottles or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. there's one called root pouch where, you know, you could get a 15 gallon one, fill it up with something light and grow your tomato in it or something like that. And then at the end of the season, or let's say it was potatoes. At the end of the season, you dump them all out. You could store that thing flat. That's another advantage, too. Yeah, it's great. So what else did you see? Well, I know, one other thing that I noticed that I thought was interesting is a shift away from native only. Now, I'm a big proponent of planting natives. I think they're incredibly important. I think the focus should always be on that. But the past few years... It just seemed like almost a, a sin to plant a non-native in your garden. And I don't agree with that. I think that there's a place for ornamentals, never invasive ornamentals, but a place for ornamentals uh, for appreciation, for balance. And, you know, sometimes you just love a tree. And so what I noticed this year is more non-native options. Uh, now, again, there's a huge focus on native. I want to be very clear. That's very important. And that was definitely a theme at the show. But I was seeing more non-natives, which I appreciated. So I was seeing, you know, again, this trend towards smaller plants. Mm -hmm. And this is a question for you. So uh, Star Roses was offering two red buds to be grown in containers. Red buds are native, but when it's bred like that, do you still consider it a native? That's a big discussion in the industry is our cultivar is native, right? So if you have a red bud, that's great. If it is a forest pansy, which is the purple leaf red bud, is that a native anymore? And 
you know, purists would say no because the native fauna, the the uh, pollinators, the insects, you know, they might not be able to identify those flowers because they're specifically looking for the native flower of the eastern redbud, the the ones that you would find in the forest. Uh, so I, it's uh, it's really up to discussion, and it has not been decided yet. Yeah, that's that's kind of the tricky thing with natives. Obviously, we all, you know, for the most part, we want natives. You know, we know that's a good thing. But there's also the other side of the coin. You know, you you want you're grow, you're growing for the pollinators. You're growing for for the wildlife, but you're also growing for the gardener or for the homeowner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, a balance has to be found. Another thing to consider is some of the, the natives that we have uh, are suffering. So if you look at flowering dogwoods, for instance, they are getting hammered with anthracnose. And I wouldn't recommend planting a straight native flowering dogwood in the mid-Atlantic right now because of our humidity. Um, anthracnose just destroys them. But you get a Kusa dogwood, which is slightly different, um, non-native, and they do great. And there are other cultivars of dogwoods that have been bred to be resistant to uh, anthracnose. So, yeah, you, you really, you got to find that balance, Doug. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what else at the show? Uh, I saw some environmental restoration companies. So I know you've discussed on this show before and any Davy listener should know we do quite a bit of environmental restoration with the Davy Resource Group out here in, in Maryland in the Mid-Atlantic. We've got Wetlands Studies and Solutions Incorporated. Um, and environmental restoration means a number of things. Uh, our focus is on, I don't say our focus, but what first comes to mind is wetlands restoration. So if you live in a <clears throat> if you live in a neighborhood, for instance, I'll, I'll be hyper-local to Maryland here, Columbia is a planned community. Uh, halfway between Baltimore and D.C. Beautiful area. I live in a neighborhood just north of it called Ellicott City. But uh, Columbia has meandering streams behind all the houses, right, in between the the developments. And when they developed the neighborhoods back in the 50s and 60s, they ran straight lines of a lot of these creeks. So where they used to meander, they straightened them out so that they could build more houses. Um what we've realized is that causes a lot of destruction to the streams themselves. And then downriver, when you have rain events, that water just races through the creeks and into your stormwater systems, instead of that natural meandering that slows the water, allows it to percolate into the ground, provides breeding for fish and aquatic wildlife and the rest. So we go into uh, neighborhoods like that, uh, developments like that, and we recreate those wetlands uh, for a more successful setting. I saw more environmental restoration companies at Mance this year than I have ever in the past. So some really good uh, setups. And then I saw just, again, a continuing uh, focus on sustainability, organics, uh, and then also deer resistance, <laughs> you know, yes. offering offering plants. In fact, uh, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a a uh, guy dressed as a deer walking through, uh, you know, waving at people, you know, to promote a, you know, deer, deer resistant line of plants. I did see him. I had to resist the urge to uh, request a selfie with him. But uh, yes, I did see the deer frolicking amongst the plants. <laughs> Anything else there at the show that uh, was trending that uh, piqued your interest? 
Yeah. I, uh, the, the last thing that really piqued my interest was, and I talked about this last year uh, when we recorded live at the show, uh, the amount of software companies that um, are out there that are helping growers. And parallel to that, in your realm, a lot of garden communications groups, so publications and blogs and those kinds of things that actually had booths to to promote their publications. I was really excited to see that, that there's more in the communication world showing up. So in your region, what's going on right now? What has your weather been like and are you still planting? Yeah, it really hasn't frozen until this week. Uh, we had a cold snap back in December, but it was only three or four days. The ground didn't freeze. So the ground is not frozen yet. Uh, we are planting. Um, not a whole lot because business slows down now, but yeah, it's still out there. Uh, it's cold. We get snow this morning, our first accumulation in a long, long time. Uh, the kids were very excited when they looked out the window. The uh, uh, Otherwise, what's happening? Um, know, we've had some fun projects. Uh, actually, one that ties into Mance, the Wednesday, the first day of Mance, we were over at the aquarium. So we take care of the National Aquarium, which is in Baltimore, about five blocks from from the convention center where Mance took place. And we were planting three trees uh, actually up on the roof. We used the crane to lift these trees up onto the roof. It was a huge logistical uh, deal trying to set it all up because there are weight limits on the on the wharfs there. And we had to get security to shut down all these lanes. Um, it was it was a lot of fun to set up. But uh, I was I went over in the in the morning to check on the crews to make sure that everyone was was good. Uh, my my good friend Aaron Garver, district manager of the Baltimore office, is the one who coordinated it all. It was his job. But uh, around ten thirty, he texted me and said, "Hey, we are about thirty feet short on Arbor Tie. Arbor Tie is this." Uh, either like parachute cord, it's um, webbing that we use to tie trees up when we stake them. And these trees are going on the roof, so we had to really stabilize them. And I said, hold on, let me check with one of the vendors here. Because <laughs> I'm, at, I'm at the largest green trade show on earth. And uh, I ran over to Forestry Suppliers Table. Forestry Suppliers is a supply company that sells anything in the forestry industry. That's a strange sentence. And, uh, and we do a lot of business with them. I've bought a lot of products from forestry suppliers. Well, Danny was working the booth there. And I said, hey, Danny, I'm in trouble. We need some Arbor Tie and you've got a roll there. Can I buy that from you? He said, ah, it's just a display. I said, oh, well, we're 30 feet short on this job right down the street. And without thinking, he took a blade out, took a knife out of his pocket, pulled 40 feet off for me, cut it and said, here, it's yours. And I ran down the street, gave it to the crew and we didn't have to shut down a, a huge operation. So that's a, a really great gesture on forestry suppliers part. And, uh, you know, part of the magic of the industry, we're all in it together, trying to help each other out and we want everyone to succeed. What kind of tree can you plant on a roof? Because it can't get that big, right? Or, or no, dwarf varieties. Yeah, you you you're gonna plant small ones. And this is actually a, a protected area. It's uh, uh, it's the it's a sh let's see. There's multiple levels to the to the aquarium. It all culminates with the with the rainforest up on top, which we actually take care of. We have crews that you know, Davy takes care of that rainforest. We have crews that go in at five in the morning and we go up into the canopy. And we're climbing with sloths and birds of paradise up in the trees with us. And we're, we're pruning out limbs that are dead or broken or touching the walls. It's a it's one of the more unique sites that we work. But uh, uh, yes, there's multiple level roofs. This where we were planting these three trees actually 
is a uh, kind of a courtyard. There's there's three walls around it uh, on the west, north, and south side. So it faces east where the winds are less prevailing. And uh, but no, we planted uh, two eastern red cedars, dwarf versions, and one um, what was it, southern magnolia, a dwarf version. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be an interesting project. We're going to have to treat them with anti-desiccant sprays. I think they're doing that today or tomorrow. Anti-desiccant sprays are oils that close the stomata of the leaves. So leaves, especially broadleaf evergreens in the winter, as the cold winds blow across those leaves, the stomata release the water vapor from inside the from inside the tree. It's kind of like you exhaling. And when the cold winds blow across broadleaf evergreens like southern magnolias here, or think of hollies, you know, American hollies. Actually, my buddy Brian Sieber talked about this on a recent episode. Uh, well, that wind draws the, the moisture out. So we, we spray them with a oil that kind of plugs up the stomata to, to minimize that uh, moisture leak. Next year, we got to hook up at Mance again for one of our live podcasts. And uh, I know that we'll be talking to you soon with all the ideas you're pitching for the, the podcast. Yeah, I still owe you a crab cake, my friend. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you up on that. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, thanks so much. It's always great to talk to you. Thanks, Lou. Tune in every Thursday to the Talking Trees podcast from the Davy Tree Expert Company. I am your host, Doug Oster, and do me a big favor. Subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a show. And if you've got an idea for an episode or maybe a comment, send us an email at podcasts at davy.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at D-A-V-E-Y dot com. And as always, we'd like to remind you on the Talking Trees podcast, trees are the answer. 